the automotive hour i'm off messing around on vacation somewhere but i wouldn't dare leave you in the lurch what i did is found an old show in the top secret agco auto archives from six years ago 2009 and i've got it here for you to enjoy i hope you do and while you can't call in today you can certainly send me an email at agcoauto.com let's go to our show Aldazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and just give us a call? I wouldn't know. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard. So yeah. glad to answer any questions you might have. Just go ahead and put it on us. That's it. Right now is the perfect time to call. <laughs> yeah, got every line wide open. Of course, at the first of the show is always the best time to call. Exactly. Yeah. You can get your questions answered and in-depth answer right, that right. would really help you. We try to do that through the, the whole show, but right. toward the end of the show, well, it's about, just about halfway one of those the show, things. I'm, I'm exhausted, and my mind ain't strong, so <laughs> <laughs> I got to give you the bum's rush, muddle my way through it. But uh, yeah, right now, my mind's pretty sharp. There you a go. couple of cups of coffee under my belt. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Grant on the line. Good morning, Grant. Hey, Lewis. I've got a problem that on the dashboard sensor, the little con- communication module tells you what's wrong or what, what's not wrong on the car. Okay. Flashed on, check charging system. Okay. And so I rolled in, that was last night, so I went to a local dealer this mm-hmm. morning and they didn't have a tech on duty but they had somebody who checked the alternator and said it was putting out 11.3 volts okay and he said that's not enough so you need a new alternator well not but, necessarily yeah that's what i thought yeah but, see that alternator on that vehicle is pcm controlled and if it's not putting out enough voltage it doesn't mean the alternator is bad necessarily because the pcm could be cutting it back Okay. You know, it's got some input sensors. It, okay. So you, you probably need to get that checked by somebody a little more qualified. It's a pretty complex system. The computer controls it. It doesn't have a regulator in the alternator like in the old days. And it has a number of sensors that it takes input from, and it varies system voltage based on what that's telling it. So something like in the battery go weak could actually do something like that. Okay. I mean, something as simple as a loose connection at the battery could do that. Or even one of the input sensors on it could do that. So the alternator is one possibility, but, man, that alternator is probably 400 bucks. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I sure wouldn't go throw that at it just hoping I was going to fix something. Now, what you could always ask them is, hey, do you absolutely guarantee me this is going to fix the problem? Yeah. And if they say, well, uh, we got to start, <laughs> you know, start giving you a song and dance and crawfishing, well, you need to get somebody else to look at it. Well, they generally like to throw parts at it. Yeah, well, and I would be a little concerned. I just want a definitive explanation of what was going on. Now, I can't tell you for absolutely sure the alternator's not bad, because it is possible. We don't see a lot of alternator problems with them. Generally, those alternators will last 120, 130, 150,000 miles pretty easy. Yeah, I'm at about 70. Now, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. On the gauges on the dash, are, yes, are useful or not? Because it's showing that it's charging normally on the gauge. I mean, it's just pretty good. It's not a dead accurate gauge, but if it's relatively the same position it's always been. Yeah, it always sits just a little above the middle, and it's still sitting there. Well, yeah, then that would be a pretty good indication, because in case that gauge reads perfectly accurate, but it probably reads relative to where it's always read. If the gauge hadn't moved, the system voltage went down, the gauge should have went down. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking, but I wasn't sure if those were a real measure or if it was putting anything out, then it would just show. Well, some of the gauges are that way. For instance, the oil pressure gauge is just an on-off switch. It, if you got any pressure, it goes to halfway, and you got no pressure, it drops to zero. But I think the voltmeter actually works in them. Okay. I know you're pretty booked up. If yes, I sir. dropped it off, could you, and left it for a week, do you think maybe oh, you could get yeah. it in? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We stay pretty booked up most of the time, but anytime you got something like that, if you drop it in, normally within a day or so, I can work it in between jobs. Okay. You know, I don't have a specific appointment available, but lots of times jobs don't take as long as we think, or parts don't come in on cars, or somebody cancels or whatever, and whatever's there, we put it right in the next spot. That's what we do with a lot of folks. Okay. Well, I'll drop it off Monday morning, and we can leave it with you. Sounds great. Thanks. All right, Grant. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. And we got Kitty online. Good morning, Kitty. Good morning. Yes, Good ma'am. morning. I'm calling about an Acura. It's a 2001, I think. It's okay. a coupe. Yes, ma'am. And it's a great car. Uh-huh. But sometimes, you know, not often, but sometimes you get in it and you try to turn it on, and it's like the engine doesn't turn. You hear the noise, but the engine doesn't turn on. Um, Kitty, what's real important to get an answer on that is to know what kind of a noise it's making because if the starter is turning and there's the engine's cranking over and it's not yeah. starting then that's one whole thing but that's if the engine's not does. cranking over and it's making a different kind of noise then that's a whole other type of thing okay well the engine you, you can hear the starter crank over yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and it just doesn't yeah. start okay Correct. well that is almost it, it eventually it'll go ahead and start and run fine after that Exactly. Okay, that is almost always going to be a fuel system related problem. For instance, most of the time there is a check valve in the fuel pump. And what it does is the fuel pump is located all the way at the back of the car in the gas tank. Okay, but the fuel injectors are all the way in the front on the engine. Now, that fuel pump has to run and push gas all the way to the front of the car to those injectors before it is going to start. Now, that takes quite a while. So what the car makers do is that when you turn the key off, the pump quits running. A little valve closes, and it holds a certain amount of pressure on the fuel rail, okay, so that the pressure is available. Now, when you cycle the ignition, the pump will run for one or two seconds, and then it's going to stop. Because if it kept on running, it would be a safety hazard, or if there was a problem, like if you turn the key on it ran, it could pump gas into the motor and set a fire. So it only runs for a second or two each time you cycle the switch. Now, the problem is this. If that valve goes bad and the fuel leaks back to the tank, you turn the key on, it runs for a second, it gets the gas about a third of the way up to the fuel rail. You crank and crank, crank, there's no gas. You turn it off, you turn it back on, does the same thing again. After three or four of those cycles, it'll eventually go ahead and start because the gas gets up there. That's Mm -hmm. the most common thing. Now, of course, there are other things. I would have to check the car tape for certain, but the way you would diagnose that is bring it to a shop. Does it mostly occur first thing in the morning or after the car's been sitting for a while? After it's been sitting a while. Yeah, first thing to do is to bring that to a shop, maybe drop it off the night before so they'll have the car. And describe to them exactly when it does it to the best of your ability. In other words, try to keep a little log of exactly what occurred just before it. So that way they can duplicate the symptoms. Now, what Mm -hmm. they would do is attach a fuel pressure gauge to the car, try it and see. And then if it does not have fuel pressure, then bang, that's the problem. If it does have fuel pressure, of course, they got to go off in a different direction. So that's the kind of way that they would have to go about diagnosing that. Okay. Okay. Is it easily fixable if that's the problem? If that is a problem, it's easy, relatively expensive because you'd have to drop the fuel tank and replace the fuel pump. So it could be an expensive job, but I don't want to scare you for nothing because it could be something totally different. Again, I haven't seen the car. That's just one common thing that causes that issue. 
Okay. You, know, you could also have a fuel pressure regulator leaking. It could even be an ignition type problem or something. So it would be one of those things you just have to get it in. And the best thing you can do to save yourself a lot of money is to create a little log of exactly when it happens. That way the shop can duplicate it easily. Right. The more you can communicate with your shop about what's going on, the, the faster they're going to find it and the less the it's least it's going to cost you. Right. Because okay. if, if they get in the shop and play with it all day, you've got several hours of time involved, can't duplicate the symptoms, they're not going to be able to find it. Right. All okay. Right. Okay. Thank you so Thank much. You, yes, ma'am. ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Leslie online. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, gentlemen. How Good morning. Doing? I'm driving a 96 Nissan pickup. Okay. Okay. 2.4 liter. Yes, sir. And when it's air conditioner running, we're going down the road, it run, works beautifully. Mm-hmm. But if it's sitting idling, it'll quit cooling completely. Until you speed them up, yes, it'll sir. get back on the road. Yes, sir. There's a number cool. of possibilities there, Leslie. One being if it's a little bit low on charge because of a leak. It will generally do that. When the refrigerant level drops, so do the pressures in the system. Now, when the compressor's turning fast, then it can generate enough pressure differential to allow it to cool. When the compressor's turning very slow, there's not enough pressure differential to cause cooling. So that's one of the most common things. A weak compressor can do exactly the same thing, even though it's fully charged. Another thing is, if it's overcharged, it can do exactly the same thing, because the head pressure will go way too high when it's sitting still, and it will quit cooling when you're going down the road, you got enough air running through the condenser to kind of bring it back down. So most of the time, I have found it's a matter of charge, either undercharged or overcharged, which is a very, very complicated thing and a whole other story all on itself. The next thing is the compressor itself is going bad and it's just not producing enough pressure at an idle. Those are the two most common things. Now, there are other things that can cause it, but that's more common. Now, what you might just try is while sitting still, put it in neutral, bring the RPM up a little bit and see if it cools while sitting still. It'll do that. It will. Okay, well then that leans more towards one of those type of problems because if you had an airflow issue, you're not getting any more airflow sitting still than you would otherwise. So I'm going to lean towards either low on charge, too much charge, or a weak compressor. Okay. The, the way you'd have to diagnose that, Leslie, is to go in, draw the charge completely out, and first go in and identify it, make sure there's no air or anything like that in it, draw the charge completely out, measure the correct charge and add that back to it would, and at the same time they put dye in the system where if it's a leak they'd be able to find it is that would that be a 134a yes sir it is. Uh, it's 96 yes 93 was the last r12s okay all righty all right i appreciate it yes sir thank you Enjoy. bye-bye if you want to be part of the automotive hour we'd love to have you and we've got al's been patiently holding good morning al yes sir about a 1994 Mercury Cougar uh-huh. a couple of months ago. Yes, sir. It's a V6, and the wife took it on a trip, and it's at about 50 or 55, it jumps in and out of overdrive. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like a real bad problem? It could be, Al, but probably not. What you need to determine, is it actually jumping in and out of overdrive, or is it going in and out of lockup? Because that's kind of difficult to tell, and nothing against women but most women are not as mechanically inclined say as a man would be right. it's gonna be hard for them to determine that now going in and out of lockup is a whole different set of situations that's where the torque converter locks and unlocks right. and that would be more likely up around that speed because generally it's already shifted into overdrive by around 40 or 45 right now going in and out of lockup could be a number of things something as simple as a brake light switch can cause that 
Now, it may also be a engine running problem. You just won't feel it as a miss. What you'll feel is a transmission shifting up and down trying to compensate for a loss of power. Maybe a fuel filter? Could be a fuel filter. Could be a bad call pack. Could be a bad spark plug. Could be a lot of things. Okay, where is that fuel filter, please? I don't know off the top of my head. Probably on the frame rail under the unibody somewhere. I'd have to look it up in service data. I'm not familiar with it. Look back around the gas tank somewhere. Around the gas tank, trace the lines coming forward. I mean, certainly the fuel filter hadn't been changed. You ain't going to do any harm by doing that. Just make sure you get a motocraft filter for it. The car is in real good shape. Would you would you recommend I keep that thing? I mean, is it worth? Is it a good car? It's not my favorite car, no. No, okay. They had some issues with those little cars. I mean, they're not bad, don't get me wrong. Decent car, not my favorite in the world. But, yeah, I mean, if you like the car, it hadn't given you any trouble. What I tell people out all the time, because I get that question a lot, should I keep this car, why not bring it in, let us do a general inspection on the car? Yeah. And I can Mm -hmm. tell you not only everything that's wrong with it, but I can tell you a lot of what's fixing to go wrong with it. Okay. And if I check the car and say, well, you know, Al, man, the engine's got a knock in it, the transmission fluid is burnt, the air conditioner's leaking, the rear differential's whining, yeah, you know, it's time to bail. But if I check it over and say, hey, yeah, it's in pretty good shape, you know, all it needs is maybe cooling a couple of brake pads or something, well, yeah, yeah, no reason not to keep it. Is that pretty steep, that general No, sir. Uh, we bill by the hour. It's $85 an hour, and generally it takes around an hour. Some oh, of them okay. might take an hour and a half at most, but... I mean, we all can, right, we can well, go all through it. I'll be you for long. All right, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, Al. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Jose online. Good morning, Jose. Yes, uh, good morning. Good morning. I have several questions. One question is a holdover from my younger days okay. when I was a young man, didn't uh-huh. have the money to get an oil chain filter. Uh-huh. I do it myself, and yes, I sir. still enjoy doing that. Okay, it's great. really not that much work. Uh-huh. But what kind is the best grease to use for your differentials up front? Grease for differentials. You talking about a four-wheel drive vehicle? No, no, no. It's it's a rear-wheel drive okay. Silverado. Okay, well, you don't have a differential in the front. What? Well, I'm sorry. I'm in a ball joints and stuff. Oh, okay. Oh. We use Mobile One synthetic grease, and it's more pricey than regular grease, but for the small amount you're going to use... It'll last you a long, yeah, long, long, long time. One 12-ounce tube is going to last you five years, so it doesn't matter if it costs $3 <laughs> or $6. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. One more question, mm-hmm. and that is, I have a 2009 Chrysler Town and Country. Mm-hmm. I've already brought it in twice because the carpeting is getting wet. Okay. They tell me that it, the they said it was the hose was kinked and the water was backing up okay. and not draining, uh-huh. and then I had to bring it again. And they told me that they were they replaced the hose, mm-hmm. and now it's getting wet again. That's on and the right hand side on the floor. Both. Both left sides? and right to the floor on both left and right. Well, sides. if it's on both sides, chances are it's not going to be the hose. I would say you've got an evaporator case that's not properly sealed or one that's cracked or assembled improperly, which yeah. is probably a manufacturing defect. You need to hold your feet to the fire on that. Not only is that a very expensive job, you have to move the entire dashboard to fix it, but it can cause your carpet to mildew, in which gets extremely expensive. Yeah. So you got well, to hold their feet to the fire on that. Hey, man, look, uh-uh, you had two shots at this. You know, third time I'm going to BBB and I'm going to want another car. You, know, you can't get this fixed. But that sounds like probably that evaporator case is either not sealed, improperly installed, cracked, something like that. Because it's got yeah. a tray in the case that catches that water and funnels it down to the hose, which is all the way over on the right side. So generally, yeah. if the hose plugs up or something, it's going to leak on the right-hand side. But yeah, if it's it, leaking it, on it, both sides, that's more likely the case is cracked or something's not put together right. 
All right. And All right. It, it's leaking while you're driving. It doesn't have to be raining or anything. It's it, it just getting wet. The carpeting on the floor. Well, we, we've, had a, we've had a complete drought, so if it's doing it yeah. right now, it's, it's not going to be raining. As long as you're not washing the, the vehicle every every couple of days or something like that. What I'm leading oh, no. to is maybe the windshield could be leaking if the water, if it's raining or you washing the car. Right. Right. No, no, it's no, not. You, okay. If you just drive and rain quite a while. It's okay. dry as it's great. Been, yeah, it's got to be yeah, the air conditioning. it's got to be an air conditioning. Or the heater core, possibly, but most likely the air conditioning. Heater core would smell. Probably. It'd, it'd, it'd have a different smell. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Bye-bye. I have to take a quick little break. Hey, Duke and James, hold on. You guys be straight up after the break. Travel my way. Take the highway. That's the best. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Ho, ho, ho! Lewis! Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersell, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you just go ahead and give us calls? And we're going back to the lines with Duke. Good morning, Duke. Uh, good morning, Lewis. I have a couple of questions okay. for you. I've got a 92 Toyota pickup. Yes, sir. Four-wheel drive. One of them, I have the clutch for the fan clutch, fan assembly. Mm-hmm. When an engine isn't running, should you be able to free spin that pretty easy fan? Yes, sir. You could spin it pretty easily, particularly if the engine's warm. It varies from vehicle to vehicle, but it, that's really not a good measure of whether or not it's good. Is the engine right. overheating at idle at all? No. It, uh, probably, it, you get that roar, roaring noise to your shift when you let off. It's like it's, I don't know. Yeah, if it were freewheeling it would probably not make any noise. They will occasionally freeze up, which will give you, it sounds like the motor's running too fast when yeah. it's actually not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it could be that it's possibly froze up, Duke, and not freewheeling when it should, because the purpose is when the engine is cold, it's supposed to freewheel, which allows okay. it to warm up faster, and when it gets hot, the hotter it gets, the tighter it should get. So okay. it draws more air through. Now, these right. scorching hot days we've had, it's normal for those clutches to make a lot more noise on those days. Oh, is it? Yes, sir, because it's trying to cool off not only that radiator, but that air conditioning condenser, and it's having to work real hard. So right. yeah, these 95 to 98-degree days, you're going to really notice a lot more noise out of a fan okay. clutch, particularly when you're sitting at an idle. Yeah. A lot. Of, right. We've had a lot of complaints about that. Man, this thing's making a noise. Well, yeah, it's scorching hot out there. Yeah, I'd make noise. <laughs> I'd make noise too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> but the other question has to do with the idling. When you idle and you let's say you stop at a red light, and if the air is on, mm-hmm. it's idled down. You know, and it'll almost kill. Okay. And when you cut the air off, it idles back up. Yeah, it shouldn't really do that, Duke. That is normally going to be what they call the idle control servo. 
it gets kind of sticky. What the idle control servo is is basically a little motor, and the computer sees the idle go too low. It commands that little motor to open a valve, which allows more air in. And when it allows more air, the O2 sensors automatically richen it up, so it has more air and more fuel, so it speeds up. And it okay. can do that almost instantly when it's working right. Now, when they get older, they get kind of sticky, and they don't work fast enough, or they can't work past a certain point. For instance, when you turn the air conditioning off, you just cut about 30 or 40 horsepower load off that engine, so it's going to speed yeah. up. If the idle servo is working properly, it's going to automatically bring it back down to the correct idle. When you turn the AC on, it's going to automatically bring it up, so it's going to always maintain the right idle on it. When it gets right. old or sticky, it can't do that. And so and that's when the, you'll start seeing the differential. Right. And what's it called? It's called the idle control servo or idle control motor, depending on which car company okay. it is. That okay. particular one is a bit difficult to change and a bit expensive. It's kind of you got to take the throttle body off. It's under the throttle body, and you got to buy uh, it apart from Toyota. So it's kind of expensive. Naturally. Yeah. Okay. But they don't go out very much either. You probably got what like, a, way over hundred thousand uh, on it. You're familiar with the dash pot sensor? Dash pot I, sensor, not by I've that never. name heard of it but it's on the bottom of the accelerator arm okay uh, yeah they're normally like a little shock absorber type thing yeah. they do call a dash pot yeah all that does is that when you let off the gas and the throttle slams shut it keeps it it slows it down just to the extent okay. that it keeps from dying but right, it, so that, once it's closed it. no it won't affect mm -hmm. it any longer okay. uh, i'm more on that idle servo you might find a shop that can clean it for you sometimes cleaning it will help Mm -hmm. Again, you're talking about a, a 92, so we're talking 17-year-old yeah. truck. It's yeah. pretty tired. Yeah, yeah, it is. They do eventually wear out. And if you're going to go, <laughs> right, yeah. go through all the labor of taking it off to clean it. Right, you almost need change. Yeah, because you you yeah. got to take the throttle body and off the motor. And when I say it's expensive, I mean it's about a $200 part and probably $100 labor. So really? you know, If that's even your problem. Yeah, $300, $350, but yeah, I diagnosed it first. Exactly. If you cut so the you AC on, on or cut it. the AC off, and, and the speed changes drastically, that's almost a dead giveaway. Okay, you can diagnose it over there with. Oh the, yeah, yes sir. On sure. a machine, yes yeah, sir. You don't even okay. need a machine. You can you Good do deal. a vacuum gauge and stuff. Can do that. All right, man. Well, I All appreciate right. it. All right, I do. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Thank sir. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hi, for you on part of the automotive hour. We've got James been patiently holding. Good morning, James. Good morning. How Good morning. Doing great, doing sir. Doing great. I got a 2001 Volkswagen Beetle. Yes, sir with transmission issues. I'll let you know how we got to this point. Had a hole knocked in the oil pan. All the oil drains out, burns uh -huh. the bearings up. Mm -hmm. Was brought to the local Volkswagen dealer where they swapped the motor out. Uh -huh. Ever since they swapped the motor out, the transmission has not been shifting right. It will shift out into overdrive, but once you get above about 45 miles an hour, mm -hmm. then it starts downshifting and will downshift as far as into second gear, seems like even at 45, 50 miles an hour. I would suspect, James, that either a ground wire got left off or a sensor did not get connected properly or something is maladjusted. Because okay. that is an electronically controlled transmission. And, for instance, if the throttle position sensor is improperly grounded and it loses sight of that, it does not know how much throttle you're applying. Yeah. So it may shift up or down. Now, another possibility could be like the vehicle speed sensor because if it doesn't realize how fast it's going, it may get confused and shift up or shift down. Yeah, they just, mentioned the speed sensor because the speedometer didn't work. Yeah, and that's, 
that would be kind of a giveaway. It's probably something that either did not get connected properly or maybe got damaged. Because when you take a motor in and out, it's a big heavy assembly, and it's pretty easy to bump something and damage a part. Yeah. So that should not be awfully difficult to diagnose as long as you can duplicate it. It does it pretty much all the time. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. If it's consistent, what I would do, James, I would go back, take it over there yourself, ask to have the technician that's going to work on it ride with you, then take the car out with you driving and show him exactly what it's doing. Say, there, that's what, I, that's what it's doing. Because right. what happens a lot of times, you go in or you send your wife and she goes to the service rider and she tries to tell him what she thinks it's doing, and it gets communicated between him and somebody else, maybe a dispatcher, then to the tech. And by the time a tech gets, he's not getting the same story as trying to tell him. Yeah. So generally, well, I'm a little reluctant to bring it back to that dealer because they were a little dishonest about the problem. They basically told us the car was ready to be picked up and yeah. got paid for it and then washed their hands of it. So. Well, yeah, you just need to get to the right person, though. See, you wouldn't want to have to pay somebody else to fix something that should be under warranty. That ought to be covered under warranty of some kind, I would think. So, I mean, you may have to even go above the service rider. You may have to go to the service manager and then relay the story to him. Okay. But you should be able to get that covered. I mean, it's only fair to give them an opportunity to fix their problem, I think. Now, if you do that and then they give you the humbug and don't want to do it, then you got to pick somebody else, you know, and and, and the card chips have to follow what it may. But I'm always pretty big to try to let them resolve the issue if they can not and you do go somewhere else and it ends up a big deal the first thing why do you take it back to us and then you get into he said she said it just makes it more difficult to deal with yeah now is that something you work on or you don't fool with the transmission i don't fool with european cars at all i strictly do japanese cars and american cars okay all righty well, thank y'all. All, All right. right. Thank you. Have a good day. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to party all motor fire, we're going to take one more quick little break. John, Bruce, Jonathan, you guys will be straight about the break. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Louis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Louis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. I'm your host, Louis Alzheimer with Mr. Brian Jerry. Hey, between two of us, any automotive questions you might have. And we got John been patient. Holy good morning, John. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Next question. We got a, an 07 GMC Sierra. It's yes, sir. It's the old body style. Uh huh. Okay. And I've got the electronic dual climate control inside. Right. Yes, sir. Got in it the other day. AC worked great. Mm-hmm. Got out of it. Got back in it 10 minutes later. No AC. Okay. The fan motor and all was working. The yes. compressor was just not coming on. Mm-hmm. Let me ask so, you, John, is it blowing outside air or is it blowing actually hot air? 
No, it's outside air. Okay. It, not heater air. No. Okay. So what I did is I was very fortunate to find a shop that could look at it. Mm-hmm. He hooked a scan tool up to it, and with his scan tool, he could turn the air conditioner on. Right. And he was showing it was showing low coolant, and so he couldn't figure out what was going on. The coolant was not low. So last effort, we just recycled the power on the computer. We disconnected the battery, hooked it back up, and voila, it worked. Yes, sir. Most likely, John, what happened, it's got a bunch of blend doors underneath the dash that actually make cold, hot, and ambient air. Uh And what happens is that they have to learn what they call home position. In other words, when you cycle ignition, they go from one extent to the other extent, and that's where they know the, the range of the travel, then they move midway. Okay. From there, the computer commands them where they need to go. Okay. Now, if the door does not open to flow the air through the evaporator core, then uh-huh. you're not going to get refrigerated air. You're just going to get ambient air. Okay. Most likely what happened is that door is either sticking or the servo is going bad, and it lost track of home, so it did not know where to adjust it. All right, when, would that have anything to do? I mean, the compressor was not coming on at all. It may not. It may not okay. command it on. Okay. freaks out the little temperature control module, what they call an ETAC module. When it can't move those servo doors like it wants to, it's commanding when they won't move or it thinks they're not moving. It can freak out that module. And okay. when you disconnect the battery, it basically resets everything, kind of like turning your computer off at home and rebooting right. it. Right, right, right. Now, that obviously is not a fix, and most likely it's going to occur again. The thing is, when it occurs again, don't disconnect the battery. Because when you do that, you're going to destroy all the data that's needed to figure out exactly what's going on. Okay. So, again, what, what are the potential causes for this to happen? You said sticking doors? Yes, sir. Um, a sticking servo can cause that, or a bad ETAC computer can actually cause that, electronic temperature control activating computer. And so what kind of money are we talking about here? Depends on what it is, man. It can get extremely expensive, or it can be fairly reasonable. It just depends on which door and all that kind of stuff. There's some yeah. of them you got to pull the whole dash out. Some of them are right at the bottom. It's oh, four doors under there. It just depends on which one it is, if it's any of those. And like I said, the computer itself is expensive, but the labor is not much to change it. So it just really depends on what the problem is. The right. big thing is you just don't want to disconnect the battery because when you do that, you just you basically destroy all the information you need to fix the car. I understand that, but when you disconnect the battery and it comes back on, you get cool air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's going to happen is the absolute worst possible time when there's yeah. nobody around to help you, it's going to do it again. <laughs> then you don't have a choice to get it fixed where you want. That's right. Thank you, much. All right, man. All right. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Hi, right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Bruce on the line. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning. I've also got a 07 Classic GMC. Uh-huh. And, well, so far, no problems. It'll be out of warranty at the end of January next year. Uh-huh. Do I have to make an appointment for you to run it through your before warranty checkup? You never have to make an appointment, but the problem is if you don't make an appointment and you show up, they're going to put you next in line, which might be 100 cars ahead of you. So it's your advantage to make an appointment because that way they're going to guarantee it gets done the same day that you make the appointment. Oh, I think we accidentally lost Miss Bruce there, but I hope that answered the question. If not, just fire me off an email and I'll, or just go to the website, look up appointments, and it'll tell you all about that kind of stuff as well. And we got Jonathan online. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, guys. Good yes, morning. Sir. First time listener. Well, thank you. I drive a 1999 Chevrolet S10 Blazer mm-hmm. and uh, just picked it up for a fairly reasonable price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew there's some things I need to work on. When I'm sitting at a red light or sitting at idle, it idles real rough, consistent roughness. It's, mm-hmm. it's just like kind of pulsating, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And then get out, and I, if I go up to the, the tailpipe and put my hand over the tailpipe, it's like a, a puffing, like a... Yes, sir. You know, 
and my check engine light will come on and it'll go off. I had a guy look at it and said it checked the temperature on my catalytic converter and said it was real hot and that it could be plugged up. And I want to know if that will also cause to hesitate when it's starting up. When I turn the key, it takes a few seconds. To, it'll turn over a few times and then it'll crank Yeah, up. I mean, it could, Jonathan, but again, that is just kind of the worst kind of guesswork that is going to cost you so much money when it could be properly diagnosed. In other words, well, maybe it's the converter. Okay, well, let's go spend $600 on a converter to see if it fixes right. it. That's the worst kind of way to try to go about fixing a car. Rather, what I would suggest is to get this to someone who knows what they're doing, have them start out with the check engine light, see what the codes are. Based on what those codes are, there are certain tests they're going to run to isolate the exact problem. And right. if you're in the proper shop, they could probably do that in an hour to two hours, so it's not going to cost a huge amount. Then they can tell you conclusively, this is the problem. Now, okay. you'll know you're in the right shop when they say, this is the problem. You say, okay, do you guarantee that's going to fix it? And they say, yes. Okay. Not, well, yeah, we got to try this and da-da-da-da-da. The proper use of diagnostics is to save money. That's why we do it. <laughs> because electronically, we can eliminate all these types of issues. For instance, we can go in and do a back pressure test and tell you if the converter is plugged or not. We don't have to guess at it. Exactly. Depending on what the code is, let's say it's got a lean code. Well, then we know we're looking for a vacuum leak or something. Right. Let's say it's got a rich code. Well, now we're looking for a misfire or possibly a bad injector. So okay. just by the type of code, we know sort of what we're looking for. And then with an experienced technician with the proper tooling, he should be able to go to those problems for you pretty quickly. What you don't want to do is disconnect the battery in any way, type, or form. Because right. if you do disconnect the battery, you lose all the diagnostic information that's stored in the computer to help the technician fix right. that problem. It makes it much more expensive to try to repair. Okay. Where the, the puffing at the tailpipe could just be, I mean, that can indicate something like a bad valve, but it can also just be a misfire because exactly. when it misfires, it's going to puff at the tailpipe. Okay. Okay. So where are you located? I mean, uh, best thing is just go to my website. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com, and it's got okay. a map in there to show you anywhere in the world. Wonderful. All righty. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank All you, right. Sir. Bye-bye. And we got Mike on the line. Good morning, Mike. Yes, I have a 1997 Chevrolet Suburban. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. The 350. Mm-hmm. And the situation is I've replaced the, it's, it's got 322,000 miles on okay. it. I've replaced the fuel pump on it maybe two times. Yeah. But what happened, those. I replaced it oh, maybe six months ago, then it went out. So I went to replace it, and what I had seen, the, the wiring assembly. Yes, sir. Was overheated. Burnt. Yes, mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty common problem on those. Right. Right. So I went ahead and bought the whole new assembly. It's yes. like five hundred dollars for it. Okay. Anyway, the situation is it didn't last but like two weeks, mm-hmm. and it's out again. So yes, I sir. really don't. I'm really thinking about getting rid of it, but but it's been a good vehicle. Well, and I, it's not the truck's fault, Mike. Don't give me any names because we can't have that on the air. But you didn't buy the pump from a Chevrolet dealer, did you? Yes, I did. Oh, you did. Okay. Okay. Yes. If you bought the pump from a Chevrolet dealer then you only got one or two possibilities. One is the harness that plugs into the pump is also damaged, and what will happen, see, when one terminal burns, generally the mating terminal is also going to burn. Right. Okay, so you're not getting good contact, and it may be as simple as repairing or changing that little pigtail out. The second is there's some type of contaminant in the fuel tank, which is taking out the pumps. Okay. And either one of those can do that, but... 
that I mean it's run 325,000 miles before they start to occur so it's just something that's wrong with that particular assembly it's not anything that where you got to get rid of the truck I mean it's not a problem that can't be resolved okay all right the thing I would actually want to do is actually check the wiring yes sir exactly right. because when it burn up the terminal on the pump it likely burned up the the part that mates with it even though it maybe doesn't look like it unless you really look close Get a magnifying glass and look at it and see if the plastic around that terminal, particularly the ground terminal, is discolored. And what will happen is that little pin, it's like a little roll pin type thing that wraps around the terminal. It gets hot and it gets soft and it expands out, so it's not making good contact. And okay. sometimes something as simple as reaching up there and shaking it, it may start running again. Uh, now, if that's the case, you would just cut off that little pigtail, and there's a cell just the pigtail end of it, and replace okay. that as well. That would be the most common cost now of course there's always that possibility something else occurred right and just coincidence well that would be the harness right outside where it plugs in there to to the tank yes sir yes sir. it's on the outside okay exactly you do have the the ones that plugged up on the inside inside exactly yes sir and and when one's burned generally the other one is going to be burned also because the old pump was drawing too much amperage and that's what burned them up now what you would do first mike if you do check that and that's not the problem get a voltmeter and go to the gray wire in the harness okay. and go to the ground and see if you've got 12 volts back there because mm-hmm. it could be that you're not getting the 12 volts back there because also a relay, a relay in the exactly. front of the truck that also gets pitted and burned up when oh. the pump goes out. Right. And it could right. just be a failed right. relay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that. All right. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Check the connections at the relay. When you unplug yeah. it, look down yeah. in there and make sure none of those wires yeah. are burnt. Any one of those little connections could get right. burned. Okay. All right. Very good. Very, thank you so much. You're All welcome. right, Mike. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. If you're only part of the Automotive Hour. And going back to phone lines, got Kristen. Good morning, Kristen. Hi. I have a question about, well, I have a 350 long block in okay. El Camino, and uh-huh. I just replaced, well, I had the carburetor rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And since I put the carburetor back in, the brake booster seems to have failed. I think it may be that. I'm not sure if it's that or maybe a vacuum What's problem. it actually doing, Kristen? Well, whenever just the brakes won't, uh, you have to mash down Real the brakes. Real hard. Like right. There, right. Like there's no well, power brake. you see, Kristen, if it started immediately after they rebuilt the carburetor, uh-huh. I would go back to that because the brake booster runs on vacuum, which is tied directly into the back of the carburetor. So I'm going to suspect that they may have kinked the line going into it. It may possibly, have possibly didn't connect the line right. It may have split, being as old as it is. Yeah. The hose may have split, uh-huh. and it's losing the vacuum there at the back of the engine and not yeah. applying it to yeah, the, the booster. The odds of the okay. booster just going out simultaneously right. with the carburetor there, there being rebuilt go. would be pretty astronomical. What you could do right. to isolate that is get a nice big piece of hose, and it's got to be vacuum hose, mm-hmm. and run straight to another source of vacuum and see if it starts working. Well, okay, because I definitely feel the vacuum coming through to the where it attaches. Well, but, but see, so you can't tell by that because you can oh. have a restriction. You may be pulling 20 inches of vacuum but no volume so that as soon as you hit your oh. thing, and if it's got just one little hole through it that's still making contact, you'll have full vacuum until you exhaust it. It can't suck back through there fast enough. With the engine running and you sit in the car, when you put your foot on the brake sitting still, do you hear air running inside the car? No, I was going to say I don't okay. hear any hissing noises, okay, but great. it does change the idle a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah. changing the idle, that's because it's, it's vent and vacuum. The right. way I would diagnose is take a vacuum gauge, hook it in line with the vacuum booster, and get mm-hmm. in there and hit the pedal and see the vacuum drops. If it does, the flow is restricted somewhere, and that's almost always the problem. 
Okay, great. So I don't need to replace the booster I yet. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't until I test it right. further and find out where you make sure. Now, if you're getting full vacuum to the booster and it still don't have, then yeah, now you got a vacuum. Uh, right. Well, that, yeah. Problem. See, that's what's happening right. right at that check valve. It's getting all the vacuum. It well, seems but that, until you put a gauge on and hit the brake at the same time, you don't know that. Oh, okay. Okay, all you right. get fooled by that real easy. Okay. Well, I appreciate Alrighty. it. All righty. All right. Okay. Thank, well, you, thank you so you much. Bye bye. Bye. Alright, we gotta take one last quick little break and we'll be right back with more. Hey, Lewis Alzan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steer you wrong. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, president of Agco Automotive. We've got lead tech Brian Terry here. Two tools to answer almost any questions you might have. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in, something occurs to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. And what's that saying for? Altazan's Garage Company. There you go. How about that? way to remember it. There you go. You can hit a contact bar there on every page. Send Lewis an email any right. time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. There's also three databases you can search for right. a particular question. Say you have a, you need a short answer to a question, you Take can go to the question. vehicle database, and mm-hmm. you can get that short answer. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about a certain topic, you can go to the D- detail topics. Detail topics. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, the detail topics are articles on a specific topic. For instance, I just put a couple of them in there. One is, what would Henry think? Oh, I like and, that one. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You might want to, it gives you kind of a different perspective on the new cars they're selling today and what an American car is, because you get all this hyperbole about, oh, man, we need to stimulate the economy by going buy a new car. But right. is that really going to stimulate the U.S. economy or the Chinese economy? <laughs> Whose economy, huh? Yeah, yeah, kind of some shocking stuff in there. And it's stuff you really don't see anywhere else on the web for some reason. That's probably purposely like that way. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So much of what you do see is driven by the folks who benefit from your decision one exactly. way or the other. They're trying to sell cars or whatever. There's a lot of that out. Good unbiased information. Another one in there yep. protecting your air condition from failure. And, of course, just tons of other information. Just pop on there and look around, see what you think. Think you'll have a good, good time. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. And think you'll like it. We're going back to our hey, phone lines hey, of Bill. Uh, I have a 95 F-150 yes, Ford, mm-hmm. and uh, my speedometer stopped working. I mean, the uh, the arm on it, it just stays at zero. Okay. okay. Tell you what happened about four does, years Does the ago, odometer it, still it, work, Bill? Sir? Does the odometer still work? No, it's all messed up, too. Okay, if uh, both of them quit working about the same time, the most likely cause is going to be the vehicle speed sensor. It's caused by, it's caused Mo- by what? Most likely cause will be the vehicle speed sensor if they both quit working okay. at the same time. 
exceeding the speed limit? No, sir. The vehicle speed I'm sorry. sensor. Um, uh, Lewis, let me turn my, my I'm going to turn my phone off and listen to you on the radio. I can't. Okay, I tell you, just give us a call back there. We'll try to get you back on top of the list. And we got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm Lewis, I'm Lewis and Brian, uh, thanks for a great show, but I'm stimulating my economy there by you keeping go. my old car. Well, there me. you go. That's me. That's it. <laughs> and following the Edco Stimulate my family formula. economy. <laughs> That's right. We must be related because I'm following the Edco Auto Formula Preventative Maintenance. There you go. So, great. Anyway, one of the things I do regularly is I screw up my cars by trying to prevent them. Okay. Well, I just got a question. I got a year and a half old battery in my 1991 van, which okay. is which I've loved and I've talked to you about before, like a member of the family. Yes, sir. But the other day, I left the keys on, okay. and two days later, I go back there, the battery's stone dead. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I charge it back up, and everything's fine now, but have I hurt the, the, long, the life of that battery? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Once a battery goes completely dead, it's never going to come back 100%. That's it. Yeah, it'll come back partially, but it's not ever going to come back 100%. It's a year and a half old, Bobby. Batteries aren't that expensive. Me, myself, I'd probably go ahead and swap that thing out just so I didn't get stranded somewhere else. A weak battery can end up shortening life of your alternator, shortening life of your starter and everything else. If it's a year and a half old, it's been completely dead, chances are it's going to end up leaving you with a it's, problem. That's it. It's going to leave you at the most inopportune time. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're going to be off somewhere in the middle of the night trying to go somewhere and dead battery. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was afraid you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> and, guys, this thing is going to run, and like you said, I'm going to shut it off one night at 2 o'clock in the morning where I'm someplace I shouldn't be. There you go. There that's you go. it. And then or, when I go to turn it back on, it's not going to work. That's Stranded. generally what ends up happening. Like I say, once they go dead, they just never, ever come back. 100%. Okay. might even check with whoever sold you the battery, because a lot of times they'll warranty those things for you. Yeah, if they warranty them against stupidity, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> you never well, like know. I said, if, I get, if I get in trouble at 2 in the morning, I'll call you guys. I there can't you go. call my wife. Yeah, just call the shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys. All right, man. Thanks a lot. We'll, That's it. We'll we're out. We'll another perfectly good hour. That's hey, it. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. And I want to remind everybody one more time to go to the website. It's agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. All right. If you don't see what you're looking for, just go ahead and send me an email. I'll be glad to get you an answer. Tell everybody have a great weekend and preceding with opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry.